This is an adult education podcast of Lanier Technical College. If you are a lawful resident of the state of Georgia and are interested in more free lessons to improve your English or prepare for your high school equivalency diploma, such as the GED or HiSET, please visit our website, www.laniertech.edu. Click on Adult Education and follow the instructions. And now for our lesson. Hello, my name is Hallam Pope, Adult Education Instructor at Lanier Technical College. Welcome to our podcast today. In this lesson, we will discuss making inferences. We will also talk about identifying arguments in a text and how these arguments can be supported by evidence. By the end of this lesson, you will be able to make inferences about the information in a text identify an author's key arguments and be able to support both inferences and arguments with evidence from the text. Finally, you will understand a little more about evaluating the validity and reliability of evidence and sources and be able to make solid judgments. Those of you studying for the GED test will probably know that making inferences, identifying arguments, and citing evidence are all key skills you will need to do well. So, if you find yourself asking, what is an inference, how do I make one, and what can I use to support it, how do I identify when an author is making an argument, what are the clues to look out for? And how do I identify evidence that supports an argument and find out if it is strong and trustworthy? Stay with us as we take a closer look. To get us started, what are inferences? Inferences are ideas or knowledge held by the reader of a text that an author may not have directly stated. Sometimes readers may read between the lines and form their own ideas about a text based on the information that is there and their own knowledge or experience. To make an inference means to do this reading between the lines. Other times, an author will make a more direct argument in their writing, and it is up to the reader to evaluate its reliability and validity based on the evidence the author presents in the text. Finding evidence is important when thinking about both inferences and arguments. Authors need to provide evidence for arguments to convince or persuade readers that their claims are true or factual, and that they can be trusted. Similarly, readers making assumptions or claims about the information in a text also need to cite evidence from the text. So, we said that to make an inference is to read between the lines, and this is a good way of thinking about it. We can almost take it literally. Think of the lines as what the author has written in the text, and the between as all the other knowledge that a reader may use to develop an understanding of the text. No doubt the best way to understand this is with some examples. What if we read this sentence? Max was panting as he approached the door, wagging his tail as he rapidly gulped down the water. So one more time. Max was panting as he approached the door, wagging his tail as he rapidly gulped down the water. 
So what inferences can we make about the sentence? We could start with the names and the pronouns. We see the character Max. Is this a typical name for a male or a female? And he approached the door and wagging his tail. We may infer, that is, make the inference, that Max is a male based on what we know. Of course, this is not necessarily the case. We're just using our knowledge about what is maybe usually the case or what has been in the past. What else do we have? We know that Max was panting as he approached the door, and this is typically what dogs do when they breathe deeply with their tongues hanging out. We also see Max wagging his tail, so from what we see in the text, we can pretty confidently infer that Max is a dog, and most likely a male dog. We could also infer that Max has just been running. He's back from a walk, or maybe it's hot outside, because these are all situations where a dog may pant. And another inference we could make is that Max is happy, since we can see from the text that he is wagging his tail, and this is something dogs commonly do when happy or excited. So you get the picture. Now, of course, none of these inferences are ever directly stated by the author, that's me, but a reader could reasonably read what's there and know we're dealing with a dog here. Let's look at another example. Dennis remarked that the school had changed a lot since last time he'd been there. Back in 82, it was a lot smaller, and after expanding, now had a huge computer lab, a convocation hall, and a brand new parking deck to accommodate the larger student population. I know you'll like it here, said Dennis, for a second glancing towards the back seat. Mark nodded. I know, he said, looking back at a building as they drove past. He then leaned forward and asked, So is that the place you met Mom? Dennis briefly looked up at the rearview mirror. Sure is. Okay, so there's a lot here. What inferences can we make? We can infer that Dennis and Mark are driving in a car. The evidence we have in the text for this are the phrases glancing towards the back seat, as they drove past, and looked up at the rear view mirror. Another inference we might make is that Dennis and Mark are father and son. And a few phrases point to this. I know you'll like it here, and so is that the place you met mom? It sounds like the two characters have a close relationship, and Mark asking Dennis a question about mom definitely makes it sound like Dennis is also close with Mark's mom. Perhaps Mark will attend college at the same place his father, Dennis, did in 1982. So again, we can read between the lines of the text, make inferences about the information there, using what is there in the text to back up our statements. So, with hopefully a better understanding of inferences, let's have a look at author arguments. We can define argument here as a statement that uses logic or reasoning to persuade a reader to accept a certain point of view. The reality is that some arguments are better than others, and there are a few things to think about when we try to assess them. 
Generally, arguments with stronger reasoning, supported by more evidence, are considered better arguments. First, let's look at some examples of arguments. Nowadays, you might see a lot of arguments made in advertising and marketing texts. For instance, what about an advert for a new car that goes like this? Our new Explorer range of trucks was recently rated the safest by Lanier Consumer Reports. With the smoothest handling off-road, as suggested by 9 out of 10 test drivers and 0% interest financing for the first year, you can still trust Laker brand trucks to be the smartest and safest choice. So, what arguments can we find here? The main argument is that Laker brand is the smartest and safest choice of truck. Is this a good argument? What reasoning and evidence can we find to support it? In the first sentence, we see that Laker's Explorer trucks were rated as the safest in a recent report. So we might say one reason we can claim Laker trucks are the safest is because of their safety rating from another organization. The strength of this evidence depends on what we can find out about linear consumer reports. Are their reports accurate and trustworthy? It's hard to tell from the advert alone. Another reason Laker brand trucks may be a safe and smart choice is because of the reason that the trucks have great handling when off-road. This would be a pretty good reason supporting the argument, and the advert cites a survey of test drivers as evidence in support of this. Finally, Laker trucks may be a smart choice because there's a bit of a deal on financing with 0% interest which could make them the smartest financial choice. We would probably assume that this is true since it is coming from the advertisers or the company. So you can see how the advert authors support their claim with specific examples and even cite a report as evidence. You can think of this as an author makes a claim or argument, they may then give reasons for why the argument is made, and then provide evidence to support the claim and reasoning by showing how they know it's true or what the source of their knowledge is. Remember, anyone can make an argument, but it can only be considered a strong and valid argument if supported by well-formed reasons and if there is enough evidence to support it. Now, let's talk a little more about the reliability and validity of evidence. We use the word validity here to describe how factual the evidence is and use reliability to describe our confidence in whether it's true or not. You may be surprised to know that this is not always easy and it's not as simple as simply googling if something is true or trustworthy, although this is not a bad starting point. We can decide on the validity of an argument by looking at a few things. Firstly. Does the reason and evidence make sense? Is it logical? If I say apples are healthy because according to a leading nutrition magazine, apple seeds contain cyanide, this is not only a terrible argument, but it's completely invalid. Cyanide is toxic to humans, and so even if a magazine really did say apple seeds contain cyanide, which they do, this is not evidence for apples being healthy. 
This evidence does not support the claim. Better evidence for apples being healthy would be because according to a leading nutrition magazine, they contain many vitamins vital to human nutrition. You can think of the validity of an argument as how scientific the claim is. In our example here, how can we say that cyanide is healthy when, based on scientific knowledge, we know it has a negative effect on the human body? To say it is healthy is unscientific and a statement without validity. A few factors to consider when thinking about evidence validity. When was the information in the source gathered? More recent evidence using more advanced equipment and methods, and based on our modern understanding of science and events, can be considered more valid. What is the information in the source about? Evidence from a source that is about a closely related topic is more valid than evidence from a source focusing on another topic if both sources of evidence support the argument. And, very important, is the information in the source accurate? How precise were any tests done? Do findings fit with other existing information? And are the results repeatable? Sometimes this won't be easy to find, and this is why the reliability of sources of evidence is also important. This leads us to what we might think about the leading nutrition magazine. What is the reputation of this magazine? Is it generally considered reliable or trustworthy by experts in the field and the public? If you're listening in 2022, you've likely seen a lot over the past few years about fake news or misinformation, and reliability plays a big part in this. A reliable source of evidence is one from somewhere with a good track record. Essentially, trust in a source is built over time as claims are consistently checked and found to be true. That is why well-known and well-established sources, like newspapers, are often trusted by their readers. If our nutrition magazine is described as leading, this would suggest that it is popular with readers and also gives it a degree of reliability. You could say there's strength in numbers. But watch out, because popularity does not always mean a source is trustworthy. And even popular sources, like our nutrition magazine, can make mistakes, like they did here. When we are talking about newspapers, they traditionally fall into two categories broadsheet newspapers, and tabloid newspapers. Broadsheet newspapers typically include content that is a little more serious. Think politics, economics, and natural disasters, for example. Tabloids, on the other hand, usually take a lighter tone and make other topics more like celebrity and sports news and gossip. These tend to use more shocking or intention-grabbing headlines on the front page, you know, the kind you see in front of the supermarket checkouts. Generally speaking, broadsheet newspapers are regarded as more reliable sources of information, and tabloids a little less reliable due to their sensational nature. Other factors that suggest a source is trustworthy are peer review and citation of evidence. Peer review is mostly used with scientific and academic sources, and all it means is that many subject experts take a look at another expert's research 
and check it based on their knowledge and experience. Lots of expert opinion means a very reliable source. Citation is the other major factor in reliability. To cite something means to show where a piece of evidence was gathered from. Generally, the more citations and varied sources for a given piece of evidence, the more reliable we can consider it. Readers can also check a citation out and decide if the source it came from is itself trustworthy. As a general rule, the more trusted people or sources claiming the same thing, the more reliable and trustworthy the information. In an exam, it's unlikely you'll be asked about peer review or citations, but you will probably be expected to at least understand that information from a scientific journal or reputable newspaper is generally more reliable than your cousin's personal blog or a social media post. Alright, so now it's time to put what you've just learned into practice as we move on to our practice questions section. For question one, let's start with a question on inferences. Have a listen to the following passage. Janine started to feel sick. The plane had just reached an altitude of 15,000 feet. She realized this wouldn't be like the time she went bungee jumping or flew in a hot air balloon. There would be nothing attaching her to a bridge or a plane and she would be free falling. The skydiving instructor opened the hatch and Janine wasn't sure if she would go through with it or not. So, part one of the question is, which of these options is the best supported inference for the passage? A. Janine is scared of heights. B. Janine has never skydived before. C. Janine has food poisoning. Or D. Janine is excited to jump. Okay, and before we have a look at that answer, here's a part two to the question. Which of these phrases best supports the answer to part one? A. Janine started to feel sick. B. The plane had just reached an altitude of 15,000 feet. C. She realized this wouldn't be like the time she went bungee jumping or flew in a hot air balloon. Or D. Janine wasn't sure if she would go through with it or not. So, what do we think? Part 1, which is the best supported inference in the passage? Let's start with A. Do we have any evidence to support the inference that Janine is scared of heights? Well, we do see that Janine starts to feel sick when she's 15,000 feet up in the air. However, we can also see that she has bungee jumped and been in a hot air balloon, and these are both activities that involve heights. So it seems answer A is not quite there. What about answer B? What evidence is there that Janine has never skydived? Well, it's the phrase she realized, she realized this wouldn't be like the time she went bungee jumping or in the hot air balloon that gives us evidence here. Looking at Janine's past experiences and seeing that she doesn't have previous skydiving experience to compare to this one, 
supports the idea that she probably hasn't done this before. We also see that she wasn't sure if she would go through with it, and her uncertainty here also gives some support to the inference. Answer C. Does Janine have food poisoning? This definitely could be true, but the only evidence we see here is that Janine started to feel sick. We have nothing in the text to make us believe that she feels sick because of food poisoning. And lastly, what about D? Is Janine excited to jump? I think it's safe to say Janine isn't so much excited as she is nervous, anxious, or unsure. We know she isn't sure if she'll go through with it or not, so this does not support an inference that she's excited. So, by process of elimination, we can say that answer B is the best supported inference here. Janine has never skydived before. And on to part two, which answer supports the inference that Janine has never skydived? That would be, she realized this wouldn't be like the time she went bungee jumping or flew in a hot air balloon. And again, seeing these two as maybe the closest experiences Janine has to compare with her current situation, we can support the idea that this is her first time skydiving. When making inferences, it's a good idea to look at all the information available to you in the text to get a full picture. If you're looking at a multiple choice question, you can eliminate possible answers this way and find the one correct answer that's left. All right, let's move on to identifying arguments. For question two, have a look at the following passage. Too much social media is bad for you. While social media does allow us to connect in ways we couldn't before, are we really connecting in the same way we do face-to-face? -face? If people spend too much time on social media, they are spending more time in the virtual world than the real world. Not to mention, a lot of bullying and harassment happens online, where the perpetrators are anonymous strangers. A recent study found that 18-year-olds who spend four or more hours on social media a day were at a higher risk of developing mental health issues compared to those who spend less time. Private information tied to accounts can be leaked or hacked and used by criminals with bad intentions. Overall, social media does more harm than good. Okay, so there will be three parts to this question, so you may want to write your answers down for later. So, part one, what is the main argument of the passage? A. Social media allows us to connect in new ways. B. Young people are spending too much time in the virtual world. C. Bullying and harassment happens online. Or D. Too much social media is bad for you. And again, we have a part two. Which of these are supporting reasons for the main argument? A. A lot of bullying happens online and too much social media is bad for mental health. B. Too much social media is bad for you and does more harm than good. C. Accounts can be hacked and people spend more time in the real world. D. We don't connect the same way face-to-face -face where bullying happens. Finally, here's part three. 
Which of these is supporting evidence found in the passage? A. They are spending more time in the virtual world than the real world. B. A recent study found that 18-year-olds who spend four or more hours on social media a day were at a higher risk of developing mental health issues. C. Private information tied to accounts can be leaked or hacked. Or D. Overall, social media does more harm than good. Okay, so part one, what is the main argument of the passage? The main argument is the key point of the whole passage. Overall, what claim is the author trying to make? In this example, we could maybe say there are two main arguments made. The first is that too much social media is bad for you. And we could say the other is that overall, social media does more harm than good. The rest of the passage is written to discuss or support these claims. So, out of our options in part one, the answer is D. Too much social media is bad for you. A. Social media allows us to connect in new ways. B. Young people are spending too much time in the virtual world. And C. Bullying and harassment happens online could be arguments, but the rest of the passage does not work to support them, so they are definitely not the main argument here. Part 2. Which parts of the passage are supporting reasons for the main argument? Well, we know it's not C and D, because people spend more time in the real world doesn't support the main argument that too much social media is bad for you. And we don't connect the same way face-to-face -face where bullying happens is not found in the text. And we know that bullying happens online anyway. So it could be A, bullying happens online and too much social media is bad for mental health. Or B, too much social media is bad for you and does more harm than good. Well, which of these is supporting our main argument? Answer B contains our main argument, so we can say answer A, bullying happens online and too much social media is bad for mental health, is correct, as these are reasons supporting the argument that too much social media is bad for you. Finally, we have part 3, which part of the passage is supporting evidence for the main argument? Out of all our options here, the best answer is a recent study found that 18-year-olds who spend four or more hours on social media a day were at a higher risk of developing mental health issues. Why? Because this answer is an example of scientific research, which serves well as evidence supporting the argument that too much social media is bad for you. Next, the questions will focus on the validity and reliability of evidence. Question 3. Rank these sources in order of how reliable they are, starting with the most reliable. A. The Washington Post newspaper. B. Your uncle's personal blog. C. TMZ an online tabloid newspaper, and D, 
a peer-reviewed scientific journal. Okay, so what do we think? Which of these is the most reliable? Let's start with A, the Washington Post. What kind of source is this? Remember what we said about broadsheet and tabloid newspapers. The Washington Post fits into the category of broadsheets. It takes a more serious tone and therefore is likely to be more reliable. Compare this to C, TMZ, a tabloid newspaper, which is generally considered less reliable than the Washington Post. It's worth noting that both of these sources are available today online, but the Washington Post, of course, has a history as a physical newspaper. I'll admit, B, your uncle's personal blog, is a bit of a joke answer. How reliable it is really depends on who your uncle is, but generally speaking, we can say that this is maybe the least reliable source, since it is unlikely your uncle has a team of professional researchers and fact-checkers helping him out with his personal blog. Finally, D, a peer-reviewed scientific journal, is probably the most reliable source here. The content and science of an article from a journal like this has been checked for validity and reliability by many qualified subject experts. So our order from most reliable to least is D, a peer-reviewed scientific journal, A, the Washington Post, C, TMZ, an online tabloid newspaper, and B, your uncle's personal blog. Now, for our last question. Question four, which of these pieces of evidence is the most valid for the claim? The Earth is round. So, A, around 350 BC, Greek philosopher Aristotle believed the Earth was round since when he traveled south towards the equator in Egypt, he saw new constellations of stars in the sky. B, we can see other planets, and they are all round, so Earth must be round. C. From 1519 to 1522, Ferdinand Magellan's ship and crew successfully sailed around the world, reaching Asia by traveling west from Portugal. And D. Many images taken of the Earth from space, starting with the 1960s NASA Apollo missions, and continuing to now, give photographic proof that the Earth is round. Okay, so recall what we said about evaluating the validity of evidence. There are three main factors to think about. When was the evidence gathered? How relevant is the source to the argument? And how accurate is the information? So let's apply this to our possible answers here. What time period is the information in A from? We see it's from way back in 350 BC. The source is pretty relevant to the argument since it talks directly about the Earth being round. And we can say it's accurate information since we can observe different constellations from different areas of the Earth. So that's two out of three. Let's look at B. We can see other planets around. So there's no time given here. 
Maybe it is talking about what we can observe right now. Is it relevant? Yes, again, it is talking directly about round planets and around Earth. And we can say it's fairly accurate since looking at planets through a telescope, we can observe their roundness. Now for C. From 1519 to 1522, Ferdinand Magellan sailed. Da, da, da. We have a date, and it's a little more recent than 350 BC. Is it relevant? Yes, it is, but not as relevant as our other sources so far. And is it accurate? Yes, we have lots of evidence supporting Magellan's journey and route. Finally, we have D. Photographs from Earth from space taken by NASA from the 1960s onwards. The time frame is a lot more recent. The source is very relevant since it directly addresses the topic. And NASA is an organization focused on science and space. And the source is accurate. Available today are many photographs of Earth from space taken over the years. So, while we can say that all of these sources are valid, the answer we would consider the most valid is D, NASA's photographic evidence of around Earth from space. This ticks all three of our boxes for time or recency, relevance to the argument, and accuracy of information. And with that, we're done with our practice questions for today. This brings us to the end of today's podcast. Before we head out, here's a quick recap of what we covered. We looked at inferences and how to make them, and we defined inferences as reading between the lines. An inference is an idea held by a reader that an author of a text may not have directly stated. We assumed that Max was a dog and that Dennis and Mark were father and son driving in a car based on facts in the text. We also looked at arguments, or direct claims made by an author in a text in order to persuade or convince a reader to accept a certain point of view. The strength of these arguments depends on the validity and reliability of the evidence used to support them. Valid arguments are logical and make sense. The validity of evidence depends on how recent it is, how relevant it is to an argument, and the accuracy of the information. The reliability of sources and evidence is essentially how trustworthy they are. Trust in a source is usually built over time as a source of information builds a good track record. Broadsheet newspapers with a more serious tone are often considered more trustworthy than tabloid newspapers or online blogs. If multiple sources with a good track record have the same information, this usually means the information is more reliable. Finally, peer-reviewed sources, such as peer-reviewed scientific journals, are often very reliable, especially if they also have a good track record, because the information in these sources is reviewed carefully by many professionals and subject experts. We hope that this lesson has helped you understand inferences, arguments, and evidence a little better. That's all for now. My name is Hallam Pope. Thank you for listening to another Linear Technical College podcast. And until next time, goodbye. This concludes the lesson. 
Please make a note of the time, complete your log sheet, and turn your log in to your instructor at the end of the week. Then complete the follow-up activities assigned by your instructor or in your course module. This podcast has been a production of Lanier Technical College Adult Education.